Thank you, Howard. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word now and turn to John chapter number 21. John chapter 21. Share with you a little bit more about our plan to reopen for corporate worship. And that is that if everything goes according to plan, and we hope that it does, uh, we will be having um, Easter part two on the 14th of June. We know that many uh, missed gathering corporately for Easter. We certainly did. Uh, we celebrated Easter, but we, we know that that's an important event in most of our lives, and I would say all of our lives, to gather corporately. And so we're going to be having uh, Easter part two. Um, I'm not positive if there will be Easter eggs that day, but um, we will certainly be celebrating uh, on that day. So please make note of that and put it on your calendar. Uh, Easter comes in June this year. John chapter number 21 is our task this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we're thankful for its comfort. We're thankful for its challenge. We're thankful, Lord, that it does not ever call us to become sedentary. But it is always a word that moves. And it, the movement is ever closer to you. And so, Lord, we pray that by the power of your Spirit this morning, your Spirit would, your word would move us to where you would have us to be. Lord, give me the words for all those who are listening this morning. Before we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's be honest about something this morning. Change is difficult. Change is difficult in the best of circumstances. Because when called upon to change, there is, I think, some level of uncertainty about whether the change that it appears we are being called to make is being, will, will be permanent. In other words, is this change something that's like a, a passing fad or is it going to be more long-term? Uh, very often those decisions about whether to, to stay or go, whether to change or not to change are made even more difficult in the midst of mass confusion and upheaval. When we're having to, to make change in difficult times, it just adds to more confusion. I think we get a little bit picture of that this morning when uh, we enter the text because the disciples have been called upon 
to make a change in the midst of mass upheaval. Their master has been crucified, so he's been taken away from them. He has died, that upended them, and then he's returned to life. He is resurrected, and, and he's told them he's going off again, and so they're just they're befuddled every which way they turn, and they don't know what to do. Beloved, we must always, though, be listening to what God is saying and heeding His call to embrace change or in the modern parlance to embrace the new normal that He is calling us to when He does it. The disciples had clearly been called to change. They had been called to change what their occupations were. They had been called to change what their thoughts were. They had been called to change what they were supposed to, to go forth and do in their daily lives. We see that in John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23, in which Christ gives them the command to go and make the proclamation of forgiveness in the world. And he even tells them that he's empowered them to do so as he breathes on them and says, Receive now the Holy Spirit. He's given them everything they need to do to change, to embrace the new normal that he is calling them to. And yet, there is a failure to obey. Look with me, beginning in verse number 1 of chapter number 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. Fishing. Yes, pastor, he called them to go be fishers of men. They're not going fishing for men. They're going fishing for trout or whatever is in the Sea of Tiberias. I should have consulted Howard on, on the, the, the ichthyology of, uh, of, of the Sea of Tiberias. They're going fishing for that. Why? Well, they're resistant to the new normal, it appears. And let's be honest. There's comfort in the familiar. Peter knew how to go fish. Peter was probably, based off of the, the descriptions we have in the Scripture, a master fisherman. He'd give, a, he'd give Howard a competition. But, is he called to go fish? No. He's called to go proclaim the gospel. But he's familiar and comfortable with fishing. It doesn't require a lot of us, beloved, if something is comfortable. It doesn't require a lot of thought. It doesn't require a lot of energy. It's just comfortable and it's warm and it's cozy. And you think, I don't want warm or cozy uh, uh, today. It's hot outside. No, no, no. 
it's, it's like a, a, a wonderful embrace. And we love to feel that embrace. And sometimes we feel that embrace because we believe the false assurance of the majority. You know, the seven of the 11 remaining apostles here go fishing. They go fishing. And so Peter's like, well, this must be the right thing. I I won the vote. Seven out of 11. I got a clear majority. You know, beloved, sometimes we do things and we stay in the familiar. We stay hesitant to change because other people around us are doing the same thing and we just feel like, well, if they're, if they're not doing it, why should I do it? And we have this assurance in our own certainties based off of the majority. God's not calling us, beloved, to believe the majority. He's calling us to believe Him. And to prove the point, when we fail to obey Him, there is much futility in our disobedience. Look with me at the end of verse number 3. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Nothing. They go fishing all night long and catch nothing. Think about all of the energy that is wasted casting those nets out, bringing those nets back in. Nothing. Do it all again. Think about all the good sleep that they are missing because they are failing to obey. Think about all of the energy that is wasted. Think about all the time that is wasted. Think about all of those things that are wasted because they failed to obey. Yet we must remember that the grace of God, even in the midst of our disobedience, even in the midst of our futile failures, is always calling out to us. Notice with me verses 4 through 8. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. We don't know how long Jesus had been standing there. I, I do not believe the way that, that John writes this account, that Jesus just poof, appeared and called out to them. Some part of me 
thinks that because it, it appears that they, they have been casting on the same side, he's watched them the whole time. He's been standing there watching them in their futility cast again and again and again and again and again. And maybe from, some scholars believe that from him standing on shore, they're just about a football field out, he can see a, a school of fish on the other side. I, I don't know. You say, well, isn't this a miracle? John does not give us the appearance that this is a miracle because throughout the Gospel of John, when a miracle occurs, he will say, this was a sign. If you go back to the Cain, uh, marriage of, of Galilee, when he turns the water into wine, it, it concludes there in the second chapter by saying, this was the first sign that Jesus was the Messiah. He doesn't, there's none of this language here. He's just standing there watching them and, and he watches them go cast, 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 nothing, nothing, nothing. And he calls out to him and he says, hey, hey boys, what, have you tried the other side? And they do. You know, beloved, you may be in the midst of your futility and you may be growing discouraged in your futility nothing is working out like you thought it would and God is saying hey have you tried casting your net to the other side you know something I, I've been telling a lot of my colleagues across the state in the last few days is why don't we stop trying to kick against what God is doing and just start trying to listen to what he's calling us to we kick and we scream we don't want to do it but he is calling out in the tender words of grace cast to the other side cast to the other side don't remain in the futility of failure but cast to the other side and when you do the text tells us a couple of things will happen first we all will learn of the abundant provision of God notice with me verse number 9 when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Did you catch the provision of God there? Yes, the provision of God can be found in the fact that, that John tells us that when he, cast, when he counted the fish that there was 153 of them. I love John's specificity here. There was 153 large fish. 
I mean, these aren't the ones that you, you put up next to the ruler and you're trying to figure out whether or not you've got to cast it back if the game warden comes or not. No, these are clearly large fish. Abundant fish. Because, beloved, when we get into the center of the will of God, when we listen to what it is that God is telling us to do, when we make changes to us to align us to where He wants us to be, there is provision from Him. You say, well, if there's such great provision, why did, why did He ask them to bring fish that He had caught? I don't think it was so that they could cook it. I just wanted, I just think it's that he wants them to see that when they listen to him, they get abundant provision. I don't get the impression here that he puts the fish that they caught there for them to eat. The scripture says that, that he already has fish cooking. He already has bread laid out. They can come and feast at his table. He's just trying to prove the point to them that he is the God who provides. And we need to hear that again to us. That he provides for us. But not only does he provide, beloved, he restores. Notice for me verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know, beloved, I think there are many reasons why, and I already named a couple, why we fail to embrace change, why we fail to embrace the new normal. But if I didn't address fear, I think I would be doing violence to the text. Because I think Jesus, in this dialogue that he has with John addresses fear straight up. Do you love me more than these? He says to him. Now we would read this, I would think, and most of us would say, is he, is he putting these other disciples down? I don't think that's what these are. I think when Jesus says, do you love me more than these? He, he's pointing over to the boat. He's pointing over to the net. He's pointing over to the life that John, I mean, that, that Peter had already known. And Peter was accomplished in. 
he, he was pointing to what Peter already had. And he says, Peter, do you love me more than what you already have? Because maybe, Peter, you're afraid that you're going to lose all this. Beloved, understand something. When God calls you, when he calls me, when he calls anyone to a task, what we leave behind pales in comparison to what we gain by following him. We do not follow him and lose. We follow him and gain. We gain his grace. We gain his love. We gain understandings of him. And he is always asking us, which do you love more? Do you love me? Or do you love these things? These things, beloved, will pass away. We should never be in fear of losing these things. We should always be running to Him. But it's not just that, I think, that, that, that Peter seems to be fearful of based off of the dialogue. Because we should really take stock of the fact that Peter and, and the Lord have this conversation with three questions. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Did you catch that? I'll give it to you again. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? There's a specificity in what Jesus is doing here. Because maybe the reason why Peter has not gone and done what he has been called to do is because Peter is fearful that he is inadequate to the task. Because once upon a time, Peter has boldly proclaimed, Lord, I'll go with you wherever you go. And Jesus turns and says to him, Before the cock crows tonight, you will deny me three times. At the greatest moment of the Lord's need, when he needed a friend beyond anything, there was his best friend saying, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Peter was afraid he was going to lose his own life. And now on the other side of the resurrection, maybe the guilt of that or the fear of doing it again is controlling Peter. And Peter says, I done screwed up one time. I'm not going to get out there in the boat the second time. And what is God saying to him? Peter, I'll restore you. I'll restore you. You know, if you were to read back, if you were to go over to 1 Peter chapter number 5, you would read there toward the end that Peter says that the enemy will come, but the Lord will restore you. Maybe today what it is that 
we need to learn in embracing the new normal is that God will restore us. He will restore what it is that we think we have lost and show us that what he gives us is infinitesimally better. Maybe what it is that he will restore us with is showing that we are adequate to the task through his strength and his power. Beloved, I have never gone to do anything in life and thought I was adequate to the task. Now, if I think I'm adequate to the task, I always try to stop for a moment and say, okay, buddy, you need to listen here because you're probably doing this in your own strength. But when I sit and think to myself, I don't know how this is going to happen. That's generally when God's calling. And maybe today, in the midst of all this COVID-19 crisis, God's been calling you. Maybe he's been calling you to re-engage with Christianity. Maybe he's been calling you to re-engage with the church. And you have all of these uh, abundant fears. And you're trying to think, should I embrace this new normal that God is calling me to? This, this new life of faith? Or maybe it's a return to the life of faith. Or maybe it's a return to service in the church. Or maybe it's just return to regular attendance in the church. Maybe you've been tuning in at 10.30 on Sunday morning because you're tired of the news and there's no good movies on and there's no sports to lead into. And so you thought, well, I'll just tune in and see what bow tie he's got on today. And in the middle of that, you've heard God say, I want you back. Understand that God wants to restore you. God wants to show you provision. Beloved, the call of God on your life is not a passing fad. My great-grandfather ran a service station in Richlands. Um, and my family has long told the story, and I hope I get the, the, the amounts right. Coca-Colas were five cents apiece. And then they either went to seven cents or a dime. I can't recall. But, but my, my great-grandfather was tight. He was tight. He wouldn't spend a dollar. And, and he thought that this was nothing more than a passing fad. So you know what he did? He kept his prices at a nickel. And lost money. Because he thought it was a fad and ultimately Coca-Cola would bring their price back down. Now you could say that he thought maybe uh, when the crowd showed up to keep getting their Cokes for a nickel at CR's that he was correct. But that was meaning he was losing more money with the majority showing up to his place of business. The call of God is not a passing fad, and you are losing, beloved. We are always losing when we do not answer his call. Is the call going to be easy? No. He tells that to Peter here. Verse number 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, 
you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Is it going to be an easy road? No. But guess what? God promised you in showing you the provision and showing the restoration that he will always go with you. He will always provide you. Things may be rough, but he will be right there. He is still, beloved, the God who stills the storm. And if he doesn't still the storm, he's the one that will walk out to you and bring you through the storm. Death may cast its shadow around us, but the scripture says, Yea, he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. It says that no weapon formed against us shall conquer, shall, shall destroy us, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, and that nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, it's going to be hard, but the, the difficulty does not match the grace of God. Yes, it's going to be hard, but the difficulty does not match the abundant provision of God. It's going to be hard but the difficulty does not match what God can do so now you got to decide and you may be saying well what about someone else that's what Peter does here that's what Peter does verse 20 Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow you, follow me. Beloved, Right now, I don't want you to worry about anybody else. I want you to hear this. Verse number 19, he says, follow me. Peter says, well, what about this other guy? And he says to him again, no, 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 no. Don't worry about John. You follow me. Don't worry about the other ones. You follow me. Embrace this change, Peter. Because in doing so, you are embracing me. So, we're now to a moment of decision. We're now to a moment of decision. Are you going to follow him today? Are you going to leave the prison that you find yourself in because of your futility, your failure to obey Him? Because of your letting your fear override His overwhelming desire to provide and to restore or will you say, yes, Lord, I love you, as Peter does, and follow him into the bright light 
of obedience. And let his restoration fill you. The hymn writer said it best, though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Can the same be said of you today? You're being called. I'm being called. We're all being called. At some level of each of our lives to embrace the new normal that God is calling us to. It ain't time to go fishing. Let's pray. Kind Father, I pray that right now, maybe at the beach, maybe out in the middle of a boat, Maybe on someone's back porch, maybe in someone's living room. Maybe folks are still laying in bed and hadn't even got up yet. That you would arouse us all from our comforts. That we would hear your unending call to cast our nets where you have commanded. And we will follow you. Lord, if there's one who has never made that decision to follow you, I pray that right now they would do so. I pray that they would, would simply say, they would call out to you as you have pulled them, nudged them, that they would say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Restore life to me. Enable me to follow you. Become king of my life. And in doing so, they would leave the prisons that they find themselves in. Into the glorious freedom. What really is freedom? A life lived through your grace. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Where has he spoken to you today? Maybe it's that decision to follow him in faith. Maybe it's a decision to, to engage in some new ministry. Maybe it's a, a, another life change that you need to make. Maybe it's that you need to re-engage with the church. And, and maybe he's calling you to re-engage with the church by coming here to Grove Park. I don't know what it is, but I pray you'd answer. I'd love to pray with you about it. Email me, msanders at groveparkchurch.com so that I can talk with you more about this. And let me put this on the line. Maybe today you've just been watching us virtually from afar. And you've been hearing God call you to re-engage. Next Sunday, 
if the sun's shining, we're going to have drive-in church. And you're worried about what people will say? Guess what? You can re-engage with the church and never get out of your car. Make the decision, that first step to follow, that first step of obedience. Come next Sunday morning, 1030. Don't worry about everybody else. Don't worry about what everyone else will think. God's talking to you. Hear him today.